This podcast deals with disturbing content, so listener discretion is advised. There are monsters who walk amongst us. Normal individuals holding in deep, malicious urges. What causes someone to become disconnected from their own emotions to the point where hurting another human being is the only way they can feel something? What draws a person to commit such an atrocious act such as rape or murder or both? Between May of 1987 and May 1990, the city of Scarborough, Ontario was stalked by a vicious beast who preyed on young women. His violent sexual hunger reverberated as fear grasped the hearts of the entire city. Women stopped feeling safe in their own homes as news of home invasions and sexual assaults flooded the police station. There was a sense of panic on everyone's faces. The rapist was Paul Bernardo. On December 23, 1990, Carla Homoka made a rum and eggnog drink for her 15-year-old sister, Tammy. Paul Bernardo, Carla's soon-to-be husband, sat and talked with Tammy. Carla hands the drink to her sister and sits down with them. They talk for a little while when Tammy starts to feel woozy. She loses consciousness. Tammy had been roofied by Carla, sprinkling her drink with halothane an anesthetic agent she stole from the veterinary clinic she worked at. Paul had always been jealous that he wasn't the one to take Carla's virginity. To make it up to him, she offered Paul her sisters as a Christmas present. Paul and Carla undressed Tammy. Carla held a halothane-soaked cloth to her sister's nose and mouth to make sure she wouldn't wake up. With Tammy's parents sleeping upstairs, they videotaped themselves raping her. According to Bernardo, it wasn't long before Tammy began unconsciously throwing up. Paul and Carla attempted to save Tammy's life, but were unsuccessful. They called 911 and began cleaning up the horrible scene. They dressed Tammy back up and moved her into her bedroom. Tammy never regained consciousness. She died a few hours later at St. Catherine's General Hospital. This case is hard to make sense of. Let's find out how two seemingly normal people could commit such horrible things. So open your eyes and gaze into the abyss as we delve deeper into Canada's crawl space.
Hey. Hi. My name is Sean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Corey today. I'm still Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> still Jesse. <laughs> oh, wait, yeah, I should have switched with you, eh? <laughs> Way to fuck it up, Corey. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I went into Walmart the other day. Uh-oh. Uh, again? <laughs> you know, this time, this time, I wanted to see if if they would recognize me, and nobody did, so Walmart doesn't give a shit about me. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's very surprising. <laughs> they were busy. They were busy. Lower the self-esteem, you know, or you know what? The the express was strictly used for express on that day, and it was glorious. Good job. We Walmart. went right through. Thank you, Walmart. <laughs> so maybe they heard. Maybe they didn't care about you. Walmart listened to the podcast. <laughs> Mister Walmart. Walmart. Well, well, I mean, there. You know, you go to Walmart, and you just feel like. You don't belong, like, <laughs> and you feel like if you are shopping at Walmart, then you must be somebody who you don't think you are. Like when you look in a mirror, you don't see yourself as a Walmart shopper. But I'm not. I'm not a person at Walmart. Yeah, and, and and there is a distinct Walmart shopper. Oh yeah, and you you feel like you're not one of them, but you must be. Like we when, all are Walmart shoppers. One when of you, us. One when, of us. Like you know when you go. To, to say you go to co-op or you go to Safeway or you go to Save Own Foods and you see somebody and you're like, wow, they probably meant to go to Walmart. Like, you know that person? Like, like, no, don't, don't really. like when you, you you walk in and you see him and they got a greasy mullet. Oh, gotcha. Oh, and, like, and I, I see what you're talking top. about now. Or they're riding a power scooter, but they're clearly not disabled. <laughs> they'll, they'll like stand up to grab things and then sit back down and. And and you're like, nah, oh, fuck, like that's a Walmart shopper right there. Get and out! It, and then and then when you go to Walmart, and then it's like, do other people look at you and they're like, fuck, that guy belongs here in Walmart. <laughs> that guy looks like the, from the from all those memes. <laughs> <laughs> like, do you ever feel that way? Like, do people look at me like a Walmart shopper? I'm gonna think about it now, but I used to look at people like that, like you were saying. Yeah. yeah. Do you wear your pajamas to Walmart? No, but I mean, well, then, is there then you're something? A step above is there something about me that would like make that me think that somebody that, else? Yeah. Would see him as a Walmart shopper, like quote unquote like, Walmart. Well, that, that's shopper. what I'm saying. Like yeah. that's why I asked if he wore pajamas. If he wore pajamas, definitely looks if like I a Walmart look, shopper. If I look slightly like a Hutterite, does that like <laughs> typecast me as a Walmart shopper? If they're like, wow, that guy must be a fucking Hutterite. I'm glad he's here at Walmart. <laughs> would that? Would that stand out, or is there like, yeah, you're Where's right about the pajamas. Giant van. Pajamas, sweat. When somebody wears their fuck, and we went when we were at Walmart. Right when we were walking, and somebody also walked in wearing their pajamas. So, yeah, and so I feel like we're not a part of that. But at the, <laughs> I'm above that. But at the same time, just being there, we we're we're contributing to that. To that. Yeah, but it has what you want. It it does, but why? Why are these people? Why are these people so drawn to Walmart? And and I know because it has it's what everybody wants. It's the sales, but it is the sales. But <laughs> then you go to Superstore, and Superstore is, is also fairly priced. Superstore but makes me depressed when, it, as soon as I walk in. How come? I don't know. It used to be real bad when when it was like yellow and whatnot oh, on the yeah. inside. Now like, the blue could, is better. Like you could see like the rafters and the all the vents up. You look felt like you were just in like a. A warehouse. A warehouse. Yeah. I know what Sean's talking yeah. about. It did feel very depressing. Yeah. And is that why they don't shop there? Because they're too jovial, or, <laughs> or what, what is the issue? Because you go in a superstore and you don't see Walmart shoppers, but yet superstore offers the same kind of pricing as Walmart, but less. It doesn't have like it's got a greater 
grocery section, but less of everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I suppose so. What are these people buying? What are these people buying <laughs> from Walmart that they can't get Superstore? Craft, oh, I, guess, I was going to say Craft Dinner. Di- well, no. You can get that everywhere. Because Superstore has great deals on yeah. diapers. So I don't think it's diapers. Clothing, potentially? Clothing, house wear stuff you can buy a barbecue at you can get great deals on spoons at walmart that's true yeah dollar for four or something yeah (laughs) yeah so i mean that you guys really know your pricing (laughs) i do i go to walmart a lot well so do i like jocelyn i mean we all go to walmart but we all don't feel like we belong in walmart right (laughs) i would prefer to go to walmart a little bit less yeah like superstore is closer but jocelyn hates it because she doesn't know where everything is like she goes to the walmart yeah, but you're, you're never going to know where everything is with that attitude. <laughs> well, like, that, tell that to her. <laughs> spend some time there. I understand Jocelyn. that because I like to get into a grocery store and get out as soon as fucking possible. Yeah. But then Walmart's not the place for you because most of the time you end up getting fucking gridlocked in line somewhere. Yeah. That's anywhere, though, too. <laughs> it can be. Especially this time of year. Yeah, oh, this time of year. Yeah. You're fucked. But I haven't even started Christmas shopping besides one thing. But I mean, and and that's but that's what people always say. It's like, screwed oh, this week. <laughs> oh, you're looking for a convenient shopping experience. Then why would you go to Walmart? And you're like, well, I mean, the pricing and the fucking clothes, I guess, whatever they're buying there, clothes and housewares. I always. I just need, need to be around my people. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this has been another episode of Walmart Talk. <laughs> <laughs> and now welcome to welcome to the Canada's crawl space. Oh um, hey guys. I'm Sean. He's not. <laughs> you still want to be me. You don't want to be me. I, I think I'm still Jesse. <laughs> and I'm still Sean. <laughs> Alright, what are we talking about today? We are talking about Paul Bernardo and Carla Homoka, the Canon Barbie killers. This has been the most disturbing case to research yeah i didn't think it was going to be as bad as it was until i got into it <laughs> like, it, like you, you read about it and my stomach would just tighten up and sink at the same time yeah. like it was just, oh. i felt like the details of that vince lee uh situation were very very stomach churning they were in- and yet this was worse for me yeah, yeah. I, I feel the same way like the like i was able to make that audio clip well, the circumstances, the yeah, the circumstances behind like how this all began, and everything like that. Yeah, I, I definitely see that. It did just so depraved, and the like all the murders were teenage girls. Like it, it just worse. Yeah, I don't know. yeah. I guess I, I agree. It is worse than a, than a, a carnival worker, but it's uh, <laughs> it's it's a different bag altogether. Like yeah, like <clears throat> well, and also like you've got Vince Lee who schizophrenic like there there's an issue there you got paul bernardo by all Just accounts like normal guy like, yeah. like yeah. mr canada the boy next door yeah all right <laughs> so who is paul bernardo <laughs> let's find that out uh paul kenneth bernardo was born august 27th 1964 in scarborough ontario his father kenneth was a monster himself he was charged with child molestation in 1975 he sexually abused his daughter um, Paul mother, uh, Paul's mother, falling into a deep depression over her husband's abuse, withdrew from the family and lived in the basement of their Scarborough home. So she didn't really go too far away, eh? She's downstairs. Is Liam's middle name Sean? No. Yeah. Do you have any <laughs> kids with your first name as their middle name? No. That's the son of a real sick <laughs> bastard. Well, I'm, I'm, uh, my middle names are my grandfather and great grandfather. Yeah, but that's different. Yeah, that's it's not different like though. you're. It's not like you're Sean Yarslow. Yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, he never gave me mine. None of them gave him his. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> uh, Paul's, Paul's older siblings felt the effects of the emotional and mental abuse, but he seemed to be, but Paul seemed to be unscathed by it. Nick Prawn, the author of the book Lethal Marriage, describes Bernardo, quote, He was always happy, a young boy who smiled a lot. With his dimpled good looks and sweet smile, many of the mothers just wanted to pinch his cheeks whenever they saw him. He was the perfect child they all wanted. Polite, well-mannered, doing well in school, and so sweet in his Boy Scouts uniform. End quote. I don't know why they had to say Boy Scouts uniform. Because it's the only time he was cute. <laughs> he was just extra cute. <laughs> he was extra cute, yeah. He was hideous beyond that. Uh, but behind the innocent face, Bernardo had developed dark sexual fantasies and enjoyed humiliating women in public and beating women he dated. When he was 16, his mother told him he was conceived illegitimately during an affair. Paul was disgusted by this news and began to openly insult her. Bernardo graduated from Sir Wilfrid Laurier Collegiate Institute in 1982. He worked for Amway. The culture of sales deeply affected him. He would buy books and tapes of motivational, get-rich-and-famous experts. He and his friends would practice pickup lines on young women they would meet at bars and apparently were fairly successful. In 1987, Paul Bernardo met Carla Homoka. They were sexually attracted to each other immediately. Unlike the other women he knew, Carla encouraged his sadistic sexual behavior. Bernardo had a deep fascination with the 1991 Brett Easton novel, or Brett, uh, Brett Easton Ellis novel, American Psycho. He would read it like it was his Bible. That says something. That does say, definitely says something. <laughs> that he something. really likes bone-colored business cards? <laughs> <laughs> Is that what it says? <coughs> He's uh, really picking his heroes there. Yeah. All right. So the Scarborough Scarborough rapist uh, Bernardo committed multiple sexual assaults, escalating in viciousness in and around Scarborough. Most of the assaults were on young women whom he had stalked after they got off buses late in the evening. Known incidences are there's a few of them here. <laughs> May fourth, nineteen eighty-seven, twenty-one year old Scarborough woman in front of her parents' house after Bernardo followed her home. She was raped. Uh, May 14th, 1987, rape, 19-year-old woman in the backyard of her parents' house. There was a few, uh, like, Jane Doe's in this. There was one main one that I don't think I really went into too much, but there was a lot of them that were, weren't were uh, named, like, mm -hmm. during everything. Uh, July 17th, 1987, attempted rape. Although he beat the young woman, he abandoned the attack when she fought back. What a piece of shit. Uh, <laughs> September 29th, 1980. Like, you beat somebody, and then That'll, as soon as they start to fight back, it's just like... That'll be a theme throughout <laughs> yeah, it is. Bernardo. He's yeah. a piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get ready for us to hear that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> September 29th, 1987. Attempted rape of a 15-year-old girl. Bernardo broke into the house uh, in Scarborough and entered the victim's bedroom. He jumped on her back, put his hand over her mouth, threatened her with a knife, bruised the side of her face, and bit her ear. Bernardo fled when the victim's mother entered the room and screamed. 19 years old at the time of, uh, or he was 19 years old at the time of the crime. Oh, wait. Oh, Anthony uh, Hainmeyer was convicted of the sexual assault in 1989 and served a 16-month uh, prison sentence, but was exonerated after Bernardo admitted the crime in 2006. Fuck, would that be horrible? Right? Yeah, how does that, well, I mean, I'm not going to say how does that happen. We've seen it happen <clears throat> in prior cases, but yeah, poor fucking Anthony Hohnemeyer. Yeah. 
December 16, 1987, uh, the rape of a 15-year-old girl. The next day, Metropolitan Toronto Police issued a warning to women in Scarborough traveling alone at night, especially those riding buses. Uh, December 23, 1987, rape of a 17-year-old girl with, uh, with a knife he used to threaten his victims. At, the, at this point, he began to be known as the Scarborough Rapist. April 18, 1988, Bernardo, uh, Bernardo attacked a 17-year-old girl. Uh, the fifth assault. There's, I got a, a little bit about that one. Yeah. Um, so that uh, girl that was raped in April, uh, there's a quote from the star around that time. Um, it's, uh, she's now suffering from physical and emotion and the emotional aftermath of midnight's Monday night's prolonged vicious attack. But eventually she will also have to cope with the knowledge that her community allowed it to happen. Mm-hmm. The woman had been attacked between two houses below a bedroom window and her screams for help were heard but ignored. Jesus Christ. Like, what the hell? I, uh, actually, just, just recently, like on Thursday, I think it was, I was leaving leaving my apartment or whatever, and <coughs> I get outside, and I'm in my car, and as I'm driving, because like, I'll drive up to the 7-Eleven right across the street and go there, I look up, and there's this woman, like, banging on the window. So I stopped, and I went in, and she was gone. So I called the police, because I could still hear screaming in one of the apartments up above. Yeah, something was going on here. Oh, wow. Called the police. They came and... That was in these apartments? Yeah. Oh, shit. Like my floor, probably, it came from. <laughs> so down down this hallway somewhere. Holy... So I have no clue what happened, because the police never followed up with me or anything like that, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Like, people just ignore shit, usually. Yeah, generally. Yeah. yeah. If it doesn't affect them. Yeah. Well, it's, I heard a, a thing back in the day. It was, you don't... Um, women are being assaulted don't yell rape yell fire because people will come to a fire yeah that's true which is pretty fucked it's pretty fucked up but (laughs) okay i uh, don't know if that would still apply in this day and age though i hope not because i mean this the culture i hope we're getting better yeah i hope we're getting better as a people (laughs) i mean i definitely believe it back then because i mean rapes either went unreported or or they were buried right but now everything is kind of coming to the surface yeah all right, so May 25th, 1988, Bernardo was nearly caught by a uniformed Metro Toronto investigator staking out a bus sh- uh, shelter. Although the investigator noticed him hiding under a tree and pursued him on foot, he escaped. Uh, May 30th, 1988, rape of an 18-year-old woman in Mississauga, Ontario, about 40 kilometers southwest of Scarborough. October 4th, 1988, attempted rape in Scarborough. Although his intended victim fought him off, he inflicted two stab wounds to her thigh and buttock, which resulted, uh, which require, required 12 stitches. It, uh, another thing I found in regards to that, it, uh, Bernardo used his own knife, but women were uh, warned not to carry a weapon for their own protection because the rapist might use it against them. That seems sort of yeah. counterintuitive. Well, yeah. They're just like, no, no, you have a knife so you can stab back. Yeah, I feel like if, if, she, if a woman brought out a knife, it would definitely make somebody... Uh, second guess. Well, mm-hmm. considering that he'd already run away, had fumbled for... the rapes at this point in time from people fighting back. Yeah, yeah like that. Do you think it would be? But uh, also earlier in that year, um, this is from a constable Vic Clark okay. from a June 1988 press conference. Don't expect people to watch out for you if you happen to come back at 1 a.m. in the morning off the bus. It would be nice to think that you could go anywhere like nowadays, but don't put yourself in a vulnerable position. So he's blaming the girls for riding the bus at one in the morning. Wow. Yeah. That is fucked up. (laughs) Uh, November 16th, 
1988, rape of an 18-year-old woman in the backyard of her parents' house. November 17, 1988, Metro Police formed a task force to capture the Scarborough rapist. So it only took them like almost a year. <coughs> a little bit better than the Vancouver Police. <laughs> Slightly. <laughs> Slightly. Um, December 27, 1988, attempted rape with a neighbor chasing Bernardo off. June 20th, 1989, attempted rape. The young woman fought and her screams alerted neighbors. Bernardo fled with scratches on his face. August 15th, 1989, rape of a 22-year-old woman. Bernardo uh, stalked her the previous night outside the window of her apartment and waited for her to arrive home. November 21st, 1989, rape of a 15-year-old woman Bernardo saw in, the, uh, in a bus shelter. December 22nd, 1989, rape of a 19-year-old woman. Uh, May 26, 1990, uh, rape of a 19-year-old woman. His victim's vivid re uh, recollection of her attacker enabled police to create a computer composite portrait, which was released two days later by police and published in Toronto and area newspapers. In July 1990, two months after police received tips that Bernardo fit the Scarborough rapist composite, he was interviewed by two police detectives. So now we'll get into the investigation. And release. And release. <laughs> and release. It, is that where he submitted the DNA yeah. as well? And yeah. So from May to September 1990, police submitted more than 130 suspect samples for DNA testing when they received two reports that the person they were seeking was Bernardo. The first in June uh, had been filed by a bank employee. The second was from Tina Smyrnas. Smyrnas? Smyrnas. Smyrnas. Wife of one of the three Smyr Smyrnas brothers. I'm going to fuck that up every time. <laughs> it's the sound. <laughs> it's all those Smyrna's brothers who were among Bernardo's closest friends. Smyrna's told detectives that Bernardo had been called in on a previous rape investigation once in December 1987, but he had never been interviewed. He frequently talked about his sex life to Smyrna's and said that he liked rough sex, anal sex, and analingus. So he was licking his rape victim's butthole? Is that what we're saying? I believe Possibly, so. Possibly, or having them lick his. I don't know. That seems like a good time to escape when <laughs> yeah. you're licking a butthole. I don't think. <laughs> well, you just punch I'll, him in the I'll talk about it a little bit later, but there's uh, there, the videos that go on between him and Carla Homolka. She licks his butthole. Yeah, oh, I'd imagine so, but... But it just seems like a very good position to like. Well, presumably he didn't do that during with with the rape. Like, I, analingus is hard to perform. Yeah, rapey. It's hard, it, it's hard to perform without the rape. This guy had a lot <laughs> of experience in rape. So, here, Jesse. I, I can imagine know. it must be worse. <laughs> <laughs> no, nobody else likes butt stuff. <laughs> All right then. Uh, Moving on. Yeah. Smyrna's phrasing, awkward and stilted, left detectives uncertain whether to take her seriously. However, after cross-checking several files, they decided to interview Bernardo. Uh, the December 20th, 1990 interview lasted 35 minutes. and November Bern 20th, 1990. What did I say? You said December. Did I? Okay, November 20th, 1990. <laughs> interview lasted 35 minutes, and Bernardo voluntarily provided samples for, for uh, forensic testing. When the detectives asked Bernardo why he thought he was being investigated for the rapes, he admitted that he resembled the composite. According to the detectives... He was far more credible than Smyrna's, who, with her awkward, strange way of speaking, might just be trying to collect the reward. 
Bernardo was released the next day. So that was... Way to blame the victim there. That was their thought process? Yeah. You know what? That girl that came in and said it was you, she was super fucking awkward. So you know what? You seem really nice, though. (laughs) Yeah, head out. Seemed like a good guy. (laughs) Jesus. So then the schoolgirl killer happens, and that basically begins with Tammy Homoka being uh, murdered. That's This is when... Uh, Paul and Carla officially start like quote unquote working together on all this stuff. So they videotaped the everything that happened with Tammy, and they did many more. So I'm going to talk about some of the victims and what happened. So this could be uh, one of those parts where listener discre- discretion is really advised. <laughs> um, Turn your volume down. <laughs> Leslie Mahaffey. Early in the morning on June 15th, 1991, Bernardo detoured through Burlington, which was halfway between Toronto and St. Catharines, to steal license plates and found Leslie Mahaffey. The 14-year-old had missed her curfew after attempting a, uh, attending a friend's wake and was locked out of her house. Bernardo left his car and approached Mahaffey, saying that he wanted to break into a neighbor's house. Unfazed, she asked if he had any cigarettes. What a weird exchange. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to f- fucking break into that house right over there. You go to these cigarettes. Can I smokes? Um, when Bernardo led her to his car, he blindfolded her, forced her into the car, drove her to Port Dalhousie, and informed Pomoka that they had a, uh, that they had a victim. <clears throat> like, the, when forced her into the car, is that like the trunk or... Must must be the trunk or something like that. If he just blindfolds her and puts her in the passenger seat, that she could have... Done, well, I don't know. I've never been in that situation, so yeah, <laughs> I don't know how I would react. I, I feel, feel like, like I would react like attacking. I feel like uh, I mean, trunk would be the most obvious thing. I mean, so. she she was also just a fourteen year old girl too, though. And that's true too. You know, much younger than what I'm trying to think of right now because I'm thirty one. So, <laughs> uh, Bernardo and Homoka uh, videotaped themselves torturing and sexually abusing Mahaffey while they listened to Bob Marley and David Bowie. At one point, Bernardo said, "You're doing a good job." Leslie, a damn good job, adding, the next two hours are going to to determine what I do to you. Right now, you're scoring perfect. On another segment of tape played at Bernardo's trial, the assault escalated. Mahaffey cried out in pain and begged Bernardo to stop. In the crown description of the scene, he was sodomizing her while her hands were bound with twine. Mahaffey later told Bernardo that her blindfold seemed to be slipping, which signaled the possibility that she could uh, identify her attackers if she lived. The following day, Bernardo claimed Homoka fed her a lethal dose of Halcyon, which I'm assuming is another one of those tranquilizers, right? Mm-hmm. Probably, yeah. Homoka claimed that Bernardo strangled her. So now they're... Oh, that's during the trial. Yeah, so they're attacking each other, basically. <laughs> um, they put Mahaffey's body in their basement, and the day after that, the Homoka family had dinner at the house. It's like they... They raped Tammy while the parents were sleeping upstairs. Yep. They had a dead body in the freezer house while they had a family over for dinner. Like, just not afraid at all. Nope. After their homokas and their remaining daughter, Lori, left, Bernardo and Homoka decided that the best way to dispose of the evidence would be to dismember Mahaffey and encase each body part of hers in cement. Bernardo bought a dozen bags of cement at a hardware store the following day. He kept the receipts, receipts, which were damaging at his trial. Bernardo used his grandfather's circular saw to dismember Mahaffey. Bernardo and Homoka made a number of trips to dump the cement blocks in Lake Gibson. 
18 kilometers south of Port Dalhousie. At least one of the blocks weighed 90 kilograms and was beyond their ability to sink. That it, would sink real easy. You'd think beyond so. their ability to get to the lake, I would assume. Yeah, you'd think so. It lay near the shore where a father and son on a fishing expedition discovered it on June 29, 1991. Mahaffey's orthodontic appliance was instrumental in identifying her. Um, Homoka was released from prison on July 4, 2005, several days before Bernardo was interviewed by police and his lawyer, Tony Bryant, <clears throat> and his lawyer, Tony, Tony Bryant. According to Bryant, Bernardo said that he had always intended to free the girls he and Homoka kidnapped. However, when Mahaffey's blindfold fell off, allowing her to see Bernardo's face, Homoka was concerned that Mahaffey would identify Bernardo, Bernardo and report them to the police. Bernardo claimed that Homoka planned to, mur planned to murder Mahaffey by injecting an air bubble into her bloodstream, triggering an embolism. That is crazy. And yeah, with the body chopped up, you don't you don't know exactly what they're like. The way they dispose of uh, both bodies, you don't know who was really telling yeah, the exactly. truth. Except well, except the videos, <clears throat> the videos would have. Shown everything, wouldn't have. I think it's safe to say know. that Hamoka was an equal participant, right? Yeah. I, I mean, there was oh, no, yeah. there was no issue of of her fearing Bernardo to the point. Like, I mean, if she called the cops, he would they would have been there, and he would have been arrested before he even mm -hmm. had the opportunity to do anything. So, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> it, it's just a matter of like how, as, as we'll find out later, how how her plea deal worked out before all. The, it, it came to light how complicit she was. Yeah, and, and we will say that plea deal gets very interesting. Yeah, in, you guys in, know a lot on that because I only put a bare minimum. Yeah, I know. I know some things, and I'm sure <laughs> Jesse does stuff. too. Uh, I knew. I knew it was like a main point, but depending what you what you touch on. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So the next victim, Kristen French. During the after-school hours of uh, April sixteenth, nineteen ninety-two, which was Holy Thursday that year. Bernardo and Homoka drove through St. Catharines to look for potential victims. Although students were still going home, the streets were generally empty. As they passed Holy Cross Secondary School, a Catholic high school in the city's north end, they spotted 15-year-old Kristen French walking briskly to her nearby home. They pulled into the parking lot of a nearby Grace Lutheran Church, and Homoka got out of the car, map in hand, pretending to need assistance. When French looked at the map, Bernardo attacked from behind, brandishing a knife and forcing her into the front seat of their car. From the back seat, Homoka controlled the girl by pulling her hair. <clears throat> I got a little pain <laughs> in my throat. Uh, French took the same route home every day, taking about 15 minutes to get home and care for her dog. Soon after she should have arrived, her parents became convinced that she met with foul play and notified police. Within 24 hours, the Niagara Regional Police Service assembled a team, searched French's route, and found several witnesses who had seen the abduction from different locations, giving police a fairly clear picture. French's shoe, recovered from the parking lot, underscored the seriousness of the abduction. So, there were several witnesses that, that saw the abduction. And did they say anything angles. when it happened? And the police, yeah, the police had to investigate the entire area before they found that, oh, like... How did nobody call in that time frame? I don't know. Would have been a lot of kids, but I still feel like there would have Maybe been... Maybe tell your... Hey, Mom, Dad, I just saw somebody get dragged into a car screaming or somebody brandishing a knife, something. But, like, the, it, when she didn't arrive home in 15 minutes, like, that, that is still pretty 
pretty yeah. fast and it all depends on yeah like kids may have needed time to get home to tell their parents something guess, like yeah. that well the fact that, that the, but i mean by the time that 15 minutes was up they contact the police and then the police had to like track down her route and do the investigation right so i mean that's hours past at that point by the time they go through all of that well, yeah it, was, yeah it says within 24 hours so, yeah, yeah. Uh, over the Easter weekend, Bernardo and Homoka videotaped themselves torturing, raping, and sodomizing French, forcing her to drink large amounts of alcohol and submit to Bernardo. At his trial, Crown Prosecutor Ray Houlihan, it's a sweet, like, detective name, <laughs> uh, said that her Bernardo always intended to kill her because she was never blindfolded and could identify her captors. <clears throat> The following day, Bernardo and Homoka murdered French before going to Homoka's for Easter dinner. Homoka testified at her trial that Bernardo strangled French for seven minutes while she watched. Bernardo said that Homoka beat French with a rubber mallet because she tried to escape, and French was strangled with a noose around her neck, which was secured to a hope chest. Homoka then went to fix her hair. French's nude body was found on April 30th, 1992 in a ditch in Burlington, about 45 minutes from St. Catharines, and a short distance from the cemetery where Mahaffey is buried. She had been washed and her hair was cut off. Although it was thought that French's hair was removed as a trophy, Homoka testified that it was cut to impede identification. That makes no sense. <clears throat> yeah. Not really. There, there's still all the identifiers. Uh, the dental records, the uh, Just her face. Yeah, mm -hmm. the, the facial recognition. The, basically, the, the hair would be like the last thing that they would be identifying somebody with. Wrong haircut, not, not that good. <laughs> yeah, it can't, yeah. can't be. No mustache. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so more victims. Shortly after Tammy Hamoka's funeral, uh, her parents left town and Lori visited her grandparents in Mississauga. Oh, I'm going to burp. It <laughs> just came out of nowhere. Um, in Mississauga, leaving the house empty. According to author Stephen Williams, during the weekend of January 12th, 1991, Bernardo abducted a girl, took her to the house, raped her while Homoka watched, and dropped her off on a deserted road near Lake Gibson. Bernardo and Homoka called her January Girl. At about 5.30 a.m. on April 6th, 1991, Bernardo abducted a 14-year-old who was warming up as coxswain for a local rowing team. I should uh, interject here that a coxswain is the person in charge of the boat. Okay, I, I didn't know that. I, nobody... I had to click on it. Yeah, yeah what the fuck's a coxswain? I had to figure that out too. Because <laughs> it doesn't sound... Uh, uh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> That's the right move there, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> the girl was distracted by a blonde woman who waved at her from her car, enabling Bernardo to drag her into the shrubbery near the rowing club. He sexually assaulted her and forced her to remove her clothes and wait five minutes, during which he disappeared. Derek Finkel's 1997 book, No Claim to Mercy, presented evidence tying Bernardo to the murder of Elizabeth Bain, who disappeared on June 19, 1990, three weeks after the last known attack of the Scarborough rapist. Bain told her mother that she was going to check the tennis schedule at the University of Toronto Scar uh, Scarborough. Three days later, her car was found with a large bloodstain on the back seat. Robert Baltovich, who was consistently who has consistently consistently maintained his right. innocence? It's the S's, I swear <laughs> to God. It's all the S's. <laughs> Maintain his innocence was in, uh, convicted of secondary murder in the death of his girlfriend on March thirty first, nineteen ninety two. At trial, his lawyer suggested that the then identified Scarborough rapist was responsible for the crime. Baltovic Baltovic uh, served eight years of a life sentence before he was released pending appeal. 
In September 2004, his appeal was processed, with his lawyers alleging that he had been wrongfully convicted and Bernardo was guilty of the murder. The Court of Appeal for Ontario set aside Baltovich's conviction on December 2nd, uh, 2004, but on July 15, 2005, the Attorney General of Ontario announced that he would face a new trial. On April 22, 2008, after a series of pre-trial motions, including the presentation of evidence implicating uh, Bernardo in Bain's murder, Crown Prosecutor Philip Katanen told the court that he would call no evidence and ask the jury to find Baltovich not guilty of second-degree murder. <clears throat> That's a lot of stuff. I, I'd like to, are, are you continuing <laughs> with Baltovich? Yeah. As, as in regards to that? Okay, I'll bring in this information once you're... After this stuff? After, well, just with Boltovich, just... Uh, um, I think you're done with Boltovich. Yeah, that might be the, that might have been the end of the Boltovich Did stuff. Did you, about his, his uh, not guilty in 2008? What, what about it? Yeah. Well, he was found not guilty in 2008 in a retrial. Yeah. And then he brought a civil suit against oh, okay. uh, the government, but they found that uh, uh, financial compensation was not appropriate. So, essentially, he got nothing for his wrongful conviction. What? Uh-huh. How is that even possible? You give him eight know. years of your life. Good question. Eight years in prison and not a single, not a single penny, your Jesus. way. Good job, Canada legal system. You guys are great. That's sarcasm. <laughs> in case someone's like really dry, you know, I have to. Thank you for explaining. Yeah. <clears throat> On March 29th, nineteen ninety-two, Bernardo stalked and videotaped two sisters from his car and followed them to their parents' house. The sisters incorrectly recorded his license plate number. One sister reported the incident to the NRP on March 31st, 1992, and received an incident number to report further information. With French under Homoka's guard on April 18th, 1992, Bernardo went out, uh, went out to buy dinner and rent a movie. He was spotted by one of the sisters who attempted to track him to his uh, house. Although she lost him, she got a better description of his license plate and car and reported them to police. Her information was mishandled by police, falling into the black hole to which Judge Archie Campbell referred to the Campbell Report of 1996, which was an inquiry into police mishandling of evidence in the case. In 2006, Bernardo confessed to a 1987 assault of a 15-year-old girl. Another man, Anthony Hainmeyer, had been convicted of the assault and served as a full sentence for it. On June 25, 2008, the Court of Appeal for Ontario overturned the conviction and exonerated Hainmeyer. Which means nothing after serving a full sentence. Yeah, a full sentence. Did, We're did, sorry. Did we hear anything about him getting, like, money or anything from the government? Uh, with Anthony Hainmeyer, uh, you know, I would have to look into him. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, I'm assuming if uh, Robert got nothing after eight years, we probably didn't see anything from Hainmeyer. Yeah. Just, just... As a, a quick guest, I mean, I'll, 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 okay, I'll keep going. Can, yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll look <laughs> so into it. a bunch of like downtime. <laughs> All right, the investigation. Homoka and Bernardo were questioned by police several times in connection with the Scarborough rapist investigation, Tammy Homoka's death, and Bernardo's stalking of other women before the death of French. The officer filed a report, and on May 12, 1992, an NRP sergeant and constable briefly interviewed Bernardo. The officers decided that he was an unlikely suspect, although Bernardo admitted that he had been questioned in connection with the Scarborough rapes. Three days later, the Green Ribbon Task Force was created to investigate the murders of Mahaffey and French. 
Bernardo and Homoka had applied to have their names legally changed to Teal, which Bernardo had taken from the uh, serial killer in the 1988 film Criminal Law. That makes sense. Yeah. At the end of May, John Motile, an acquaintance of Smyrnas and Bernardo reported, uh, Smyrnas and Bernardo reported Bernardo as a possible murder suspect. Like that is a huge tell, right? I'll step in here too with the Handmeyer. Okay. He, he uh, brought a $1.1 million uh, civil suit against the, uh, Against the government for damage, or the police more mm-hmm. so, for damages suffered as a result. Yeah. But again, uh, the courts made a decision not to compensate him. Fuck. What the fuck? So essentially, with all the fuck-ups they did through this, it doesn't seem like they have to pay anybody. Jesus. <clears throat> so he's named himself after a fictional serial killer now. <laughs> um, in December 1992, the Center of Forensic Sciences finally began testing DNA samples provided by Bernardo two years earlier. On December 27th, he severely beat Homoka to the, uh, on the limbs, head and face with a flashlight. Wow. Claiming that, he, uh, claiming that she had been in an automobile accident, the severely bruised Homoka returned to work on January 4th, 1993. Her skeptical co-workers called her parents, and although they rescued her the following day by physically removing her from the house, Homoka went back in frantically searching for something. Her parents took her to St. Catherine's General Hospital, where she gave a statement to the NRP that she was a uh, battered spouse and filed charges against Bernardo. He was arrested and later released on his own recognizance. Yeah, there you go. Take care of yourself again. Fucking. Uh, so the arrest now. 26 months after Bernardo submitted a DNA sample, Toronto police were informed that it matched that of the Scarborough rapist and immediately placed him under 24-hour surveillance. Metro Toronto Sexual Assault Squad investigators interviewed Homoka on February 9th, 1993. Despite hearing their suspicions about Bernardo, Homoka focused on his abuse of her. Let me just say something yeah. here. So they they linked his DNA with the Scarborough rapist, and they put him under surveillance? Just to see if they could catch and, him raping somebody else. Yeah, I that, think they wanted to... to uh, they, they had their suspicions that he was the murderer, too. I, so I mean, I get that, those as well. you bring him in and you you interview him and you yeah. you grill him and then maybe he confesses. You don't fucking watch him and then hope you catch him in the act. Because they, they already have him tied to crimes already. Like, yeah, yeah exactly. That's another stupid fucking And they had her Homoka, too, right, at this point. Or they could have went and got her because we'll find out how she flips real fast. Um... Later that night, she told her aunt and uncle that Bernardo was the Scarborough rapist, that she and Bernardo were involved in the rape and murder of Mahaffey and French, and that the rapes were recorded on videotape. The NRP reopened its investigation of Tammy Homoka's death. Two days later, Homoka met with Niagara Falls lawyer George Walker, who sought legal immunity from uh, Houlihan in exchange for her cooperation. She was also placed under 24-hour surveillance. The couple's name change was approved on February 13, 1993. The next day, Walker met with Crown Criminal Law Office Director Murray Siegel. After Walker told Siegel about the videotapes of the rapes, Siegel advised him that, due to Homoka's involvement in the crimes, full immunity was not a possibility. On February 17th, Metro Sexual Assault Squad and Green Ribbon Task Force detectives arrested Bernardo on several charges and obtained a search warrant. Because his link in the murders was weak, the warrant was limited. No evidence, which was not expected and documented in the warrant, could be removed from the premises, and all videotapes found by police had to be viewed in the house. <laughs> Damage had to be kept to a minimum, 
Police could not tear down walls looking for the videotapes. The search of the house, including updated warrants, lasted 71 days, and the only tape found by police had a brief segment of Homoka performing oral sex on Jane Doe. I didn't get into Jane Doe. I don't think I do. But you mentioned earlier that there were there, there, there are were there were several. a few yeah, um, but there was one that like actually was at the trial and everything that they could they still to this day have not identified identified yeah. Oh, well. <clears throat> On May fifth, Walker was informed that the government was offering Hamoka plea uh, plea bargain of twelve years, which she had one week to accept. If she declined, the government would charge her with two counts of first degree murder, one count of second degree murder, and other crimes. Walker accept, uh, accepted the offer, and Homoka later agreed to it. On May 14th, Homoka's plea bargain was finalized, and she began giving statements to police investigators. She told police that Bernardo boasted that he had raped as many as 30 women, twice as many as the police suspected, calling him the happy rapist. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. i got to take a drink. If somebody wants to talk? You take a goddamn <laughs> drink. My mouth is dry. <laughs> You've been talking a lot. You talk too much. You talk too much. <laughs> I disagree. <laughs> you talk just fine. Uh, right. I was, just, I was just kidding. I never meant to hurt you. I'm only going to cry about it all night. That's all. Don't worry. All right. So during the trial, Bernardo was tried for the murders of French and Mahaffey in 1995, and his trial included detailed testimony from Hamoka and videotapes of the rape. The trial, subject to a public uh, publication ban, in Canadian newspapers and media, was moved to Toronto from St. Catharines. The ban did not affect U.S. newspapers and television stations to nearby or in nearby Buffalo, which were easily available in southern Ontario. <clears throat> Bernardo testified that the deaths were accidental, later claiming that his wife was the actual killer. On September 1, 1995, Bernardo was convicted of a number of offenses, including the two first-degree murders and two aggravated sexual assaults and sentenced to life in prison without parole for at least 25 years. He was designated a, a dangerous offender, making him unlikely to ever be released. He actually, he's the first person to agree to a dangerous offender, yeah. uh, whatever. Designation, like, yeah. yeah. Hmm. You know, I wouldn't be hard-pressed to believe that Homolka was the the killer. Given his M.O. prior, prior to meeting to Homolka... Her. He was a rapist, but he wasn't a murderer, right? That's and any, what I was, and anytime yeah. somebody did have like use force, he would flee. But then when he met Hamolka, all of a sudden the ammo changed and it began uh, like a, a BTK killer type thing where they would bind and and then dispose of these bodies, it became, right? It became like a bigger act. It did, yeah. It could be either one. Like it, he, she could have been the impetus for him to escalate things he's got somebody cheering him on but it, like it could be either it, it, yeah. yeah just and that it could have just been her, her presence that did it to him that made it, him it very well could be the confidence like like jesse was saying just having a cheerleader right but mm -hmm. but i don't know it's like i think in the videotapes they describe it like she helped a lot yeah and that's <laughs> what i mean like yeah the extent of her help like i don't know that that plea deal was such a, a farce in the first place yeah <clears throat> So in a, in a plea bargain, uh, uh, a 12-year sentence for manslaughter, Homoka testified against Bernardo in his murder trial. The plea bargain was criticized by many Canadians since Bernardo's fir uh, first de uh, defense lawyer, Ken Murray, withheld videotapes for 17 months. They were considered crucial evidence and prosecutors said 
that they would never have agreed to the plea bargain if they had seen the tapes. See, I wasn't sure if you were going to touch on that, so that was what I was going to bring up, that Ken Murray had the physical location of these videotapes. He knew where they were. And... And he, he, yeah, he withheld that information <clears throat> until that plea bargain was struck, and then they gave the location away. Yeah. So at that point, should that plea bargain have even been admittable? Like, like who knows? I don't. I like. I don't but really know. At that point, it's done and it's signed and if it's off. Signed and everything. Yeah. Yeah, I get this, and it's signed off, but it was done under false pretense that that they needed this plea bargain to get the location of these tapes. But it wasn't her lawyer withholding it. It was Bernardo. Yeah, well, yeah, but Bernardo and, and her, same thing. I mean, he had physical evidence pointing to one direction of this case that he withheld, and that's like a big ethics thing, right? But no, he, he does he have to provide evidence? He can't provide ev- evidence against his own... Part, uh, against no, he can't, but when asked, like, um, I, there had to have been a point where the police were like, do you know the location of these tapes? And he's Maybe. like, oh, you know what? I don't. I don't. Because there's no tapes. Yeah, he, what he, tapes? He wouldn't. I don't think he'd be legally be able to do that. But maybe it wasn't like. I I don't know, but no, like uh, the the plea deal, sh- plea bargain deal shouldn't have have happened. Like it. Yeah. But but they didn't know, but now that they do know, like it's just so regrettable. Yeah. As far as we know, she hasn't reoffended. But I mean, when you get away. With murder, uh, I'd, I'd be quick to not reoffend either. I guess, eh? Yeah, like the I, I read a stat today that it's like two percent of um, women that are like sexual offenders actually reoffend, but doesn't doesn't matter that the shit that she did before is oh, exactly like, outweighs anything. Mm-hmm. All right, so Murray was later acquitted of of obstruction of justice and faced a disciplinary hearing by the Law Society of Upper Canada. Although Bernardo was kept in the segregation unit at Kingston Penitentiary for his own safety, he was attacked and harassed. He was punched in the face by another inmate (laughs) when he returned from a shower in 1996. In June 1999, five convicts tried to storm his segregation range, and a riot squad used gas to disperse them. Man, they should, too bad they didn't get through. <laughs> they don't like rapists in, yeah. in, in Especially prison rapists of like young like child yeah. children. Yeah, and that's the issue there. And everything. Yeah. Well, that's not an issue. That's perfectly valid. <laughs> well, no, I mean, that's the issue as to why they dislike yeah. them. So, so, I mean, and yeah. And to this day, he's still alive right now. Yeah, the fact that, that they protect somebody like yeah. that, you know, maybe just like... Take a longer break. Take a little yeah. bit of a longer break. And you deserve a coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you deserve a Kit Kat. <laughs> yeah, there we go. There was the joke. Maybe just <laughs> drop drop something on the ground for a very long time while, <laughs> yeah. while the other... Keep, keep kicking away with your feet. Yeah. Try to go down and grab it. I dropped my screwdriver over there. Would you get it? <laughs> this goddamn pen. You know what, Paul? You're. I'll be back in five. <laughs> Uh, okay, the Toronto Star reported on February 21st, 2006. Thick, thick. 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 Fuck. 2000 Alan Thick. <laughs> or Robin Thick. Fuck Jesus. Robin Thick. <laughs> Blurred lines. Oh, now we're making enemies with Robin Thick. <laughs> um, Robin Thick is everybody's enemy. Yeah. Blurred lines was a stolen s- s- song to begin with, was it not? He lost. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So his only good song was stolen from somebody else. Mm-hmm. But he made a lot of money and wore a Beetlejuice suit. Mm-hmm. That, that Beetlejuice suit is true. It's pretty sweet. <laughs> All right, so February 21st. Two, so, fuck, I still can't do it, eh? Give myself a little bit of a break. Still can't say 2006. You did. There you go. <laughs> yeah. That Bernardo admitted sexually assaulting at least 10 other women in attacks not previously attributed to him. 
Most were in 1986, a year before what police called the reign of terror by the Scarborough rapist. Authorities suspected Bernardo in other crimes, including a string of rapes in uh, Amherst, New York, and the drowning of Terry Anderson in St. Catharines, but he has never acknowledged his involvement. Bernardo's lawyer, Anthony G. Bryant, reportedly forwarded the information to legal authorities in November 2005. In 2006, Bernardo gave a prison interview suggesting that he had reformed and would make good parole, uh, make a good parole candidate. No. Nope. <laughs> yeah, please no. He became eligible to petition a jury to be allowed to apply for early parole in 2008 under the Faint Hope Clause. Since he committed multiple murders before 1997, before the 1997 Criminal Code Amendment, but did not, but he didn't do it. He didn't uh, apply that at that point. In 2015, Bernardo became eligible and applied for day parole in Toronto. According to the victim's lawyer, Tim Danson, is that? Oh, I'm thinking Ted Danson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wrong one. <laughs> Tim, Tim Danson, it is unlikely that Bernardo will ever be released from prison because of his dangerous offender status. Bernardo is ineligible to apply for full parole until February 17th, 2018. That's like Very three, months three months ago. Or three months ago. Three months ago. Yeah, three <laughs> from now. Sorry. In September 2013, <laughs> in September 2013, he was uh, moved from Kingston Penitentiary, which was closing, to Millhaven Institution in Bath, Ontario. That's the one they talk about in 38 yeah. Years Old by Tragically Hip. Ah, yes, which he is reportedly segregated from the other inmates, so they're still keeping him safe. They should just—they just seriously just let a group of fucking murderers or inmates in there. Well, just well, that's what I mean. How do you not accidentally <laughs> let that happen? How do you not accidentally let that happen? Because, you know, it's going to be an accident on paper. It's like, got to be on paper, yeah. Oh, no, like, everything went wrong, and they got him. Shucks. <laughs> but... Womp, 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 womp. <laughs> um, Bernardo scored 35 out of 40 on the psychopathy checklist, a psychological assessment tool used to assess the presence of uh, psychopathy. Is it psychopathy or psychopathy? Psychopathy. Okay. In individuals. This is classified. How do you feel, Jesse? I was going to say psychopathy. Oh, psychopathy? See, see, I was going back and forth today reading it. I don't know which one is right. But like, since they're called psychopaths, I went, I decided well, to go with that one. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I that, agree that, with that, That's that. correct, but I don't know. I don't know. I yeah. mean, if you're a psychopath and then psychopathy, it's, what, how does psychopath become psychopath? Psycho, psychopath. Psychopathy. <laughs> We're going to need a grammar teacher here. <laughs> Somebody help us. <laughs> Um, in November 2015, Bernardo self-published A Mad World Order, which was a violent, fictional, 631-page 631 631 e pages? ebook on Amazon. By November 15th, the book was reportedly an Amazon bestseller, but was quietly removed from the website due to public outcry. Him and Willie Picton should write a book together. Yeah, they should oh, write a book together. Be interesting. They, they could like, send it back and forth since they allow this shit. <laughs> yeah, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> All right, let's... Uh, now I did I did a bunch of research on just fucking Carla too, so we'll go through some of the Carla Homoka stuff now. Uh, during the 1993 investigation, Homoka stated to investigators that Bernardo had abused her and that she had been an unwilling accomplice to the murders. As a result, she struck a deal with prosecutors for a reduced prison sentence of 12 years in exchange for a guilty plea of, of manslaughter. Homoka scored 5 out of 40 on the psychopathy checklist in contrast to Bernardo's 35 out of 40. Videotapes of the crime surfaced after the plea bargain and demonstrated that she was a more active participant than she had claimed. 
Now let me let me just in, say something. Yeah. With with that psychopathy or psychopathy. <laughs> psychopathy. psychopathy. <laughs> with that with that checklist, like, do they just ask you questions? Do you know anything about the test? I don't know. I'd, I'd kind of like to. It's something we could probably find yeah. for for our next episode. Okay. I'll we should all it. take it. Yeah, we should take it. Hold on, I'm gonna I'm gonna find it right now. Okay, I'll keep, I'll keep reading. The that. psychopathy checklist oh, or the psychopathy <laughs> checklist. I deserve that. Is a tool most commonly used to assess the presence of psychopathy <laughs> in individuals. It is a twenty item inventory. I feel like the A is supposed to be ah. It's the O that of perceived like, personality oh. traits and recorded behaviors intended to be completed on the basis of a semi-structured interview along with a review of collateral information such as official records. The PCL was originally developed. That doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> we just want to know the the uh, usage. We should see if we can like go to the PlayStation and have them like assess us. Corey's not coming home after <laughs> that. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, this, by, by the sound of things, it's like... It, it's an interview process. Like they, they just go based off of your past actions and ask you random shit. It's a risk assessment tool that attempts to predict who will offend or reoffend. It has been touted as unparalleled in its ability in this regard, and there have been some positive studies, especially early on. However, several recent studies and very large-scale meta-analysis have cast serious doubt on whether it performs as well as other instruments or better than chance. And to the extent that it does, whether this is largely due to its inclusion of past offending history. So essentially just a bunch of bullshit <laughs> at that point. There's so, so it doesn't really matter? Apparently. No, apparently not, not recently. Apparently I can they, see that. There's there's better ways of telling shit nowadays. Hey, do you, do like, you want to kill shit? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Most people are just honest, so yeah. Yeah, like there's there's a lot of criticism regarding that uh, that test. Notable examples, Paul Bernardo and Carlo Homolka were rated on the checklist. Bernardo scored 35 out of 40, Homolka 5 out of 40. Peter London, 39 out of 40. Clifford Olson, 38 out of 40. And Eileen Waros, 32 out of 40. Oh, that's the one from that movie Monster, right? Oh, yeah. Eileen, yeah. Damn. All right, so... They, they use that. They use that because that's, that's a... Uh, Eileen Waros... She's I wouldn't even killed all the. John. Yeah, I know she yeah. from Monster, but yeah. but they I I didn't know that they had used that test on her previously as well. Those were notable examples, I guess. Yeah. I'm sure they used it on many people. Yeah. Um. So as a result of her being seen doing uh, worse things on the on the videotapes than she, what she would uh she had already. Uh, she was a more active participant yeah, than she had claimed. The deal that she had struck with prosecutors was dubbed in the Canadian press. The deal with the devil. Public outrage about about Homoka's plea deal continued until her high-profile release from prison in 2005. So you know, here's some evidence during her stuff. Murray, one of <coughs> sorry, hey, shut up, you guys. <laughs> We're just coughing. <coughs> Murray, one of the, if I don't cough, it's gonna like get, make my voice go real scratchy. It'll just come out as a burp or something. It's gonna like point that. out that that's like a path <laughs> test. If you can, if it if if it's partly interviewed, then I mean, the more psychopathic somebody is, and and the more they they're able to manipulate people, then it seems like the the better you could score well being the most psychopathic. 
Like, like with Paul Bernardo scoring as high as he did, but what if Carla Mulca is just really fucking manipulative and yeah, smart? Yeah, what if she just could, like... And then it depends on what the questions it. are. Like, yeah, I want to know the questions. That, that is something, Bill. We'll look into that for future mm-hmm. r- reference. All right, so Murray, one of the defense attorneys, said the videotapes showed Homoka sexually assaulting four female victims, having sex with a female prostitute in Atlantic City, and at another point, drugging an unconscious victim. During the summer of 1994, Murray had become concerned about serious ethical problems that had arisen in connection with the tapes and his continued representation of Bernardo. He consulted his own lawyer, Austin Cooper, who asked the Law Society of Upper Canada's Professional Conduct Committee for advice. Anybody else hear those like loud squeaks? I heard a squeak. Okay, good. It's not, it's not from the computer then. Maybe it's haunted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Law Society directed Murray in writing to seal the tapes in a package and turn them over to the judge presiding in, at Bernardo's trial. The Law Society further directed him to remove himself as Bernardo's counsel and to tell Bernardo that he had been instructed to do what he had been, instru- been instructed to do. Murray said in a statement released through Cooper in September 1995. That's what he said. I always <clears throat> assumed that as a lawyer, you would be your own lawyer. I, I hadn't assumed that a lawyer would have a lawyer. But that's just like a, a therapist having a therapist. I suppose. But as a lawyer, you have all the knowledge to represent yourself in that point. So but it might be easier to have somebody working on it. Yeah, it and you working like, on it, too. It seems like a big waste of fucking money. It's like a, <laughs> it's like a, I'm not a good enough lawyer, apparently. <laughs> yeah. It's like a, I'm a... Doctor, damn it! Now let me go see my doctor. <laughs> I wonder what my doctor thinks about this. Well, but that's that's the thing. Maybe like he's a criminal lawyer, and his other lawyer is a more legalities lawyer. I I don't know. I, I feel like you learn it all to some extent in school. It just seems like very poor choice of money allocation. I feel like most people that that uh, what's it called? Do it themselves. Represent themselves. Represent themselves usually fail. Yeah, but he's a fucking lawyer. It's like, like, yeah, yeah some. But maybe he's still working on his other cases as well. I and then, yes, but I mean, like, hiring a lawyer to it, work There's on a yours. difference between, like, some dude who fuck, finishes grade six and got caught doing something <laughs> and represented himself. I then, didn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> Prove I did it. And then a lawyer representing himself. It's like, okay. I don't know. It's just odd to me. <laughs> Okay. On September 12, 1994, Cooper attended Bernardo's trial and advised Justice Patrick Lesage of the Ontario Course General Division, lawyer John Rosen, who replaced Murray as Bernardo's defense counsel, and the prosecutors about what the Law Society had directed Murray to do. Rosen argued that the tapes should have been turned over to the defense first. Murray handed the tapes along with a detailed summary to Rosen, who, quote, kept the tapes for about two weeks and then decided to turn them over to the prosecution, end quote. So he was like, I'm not dealing with this. Here you go. <laughs> you guys have free range now. And that's that was a big, yeah. The revelation that a key piece of evidence had been kept from police for so long created a furor, especially when the public realized that Homoka had been Bernardo's willing accomplice. The tapes were not allowed to be shown to the spectators. Only the audio portion was available to them. Moreover, Bernardo has always claimed that while he ra- uh, raped and tortured Leslie Mahaffey and Kristen French, it was Homoka who actually killed them. After the videotapes had been found, rumors spread that Homoka was an active participant of the crimes. The public drew incensed, uh, grew, grew incensed as the full extent of Homoka's role in the case was finally exposed and the plea agreement now seemed unnecessary. However, 
As was provided in the plea bargain, Homoka had already disclosed sufficient information to the police and the Crown found no grounds to break the agreement and reopen the case. Ridiculous. Now, having said this, <laughs> knowing that Homolka was released and all the people that that her and Paul murdered or sexually assaulted, and knowing that Homolka is free, and how has it that no family members from any of these children are, have found her and and taken their own vigilante justice on her? <laughs> well, I don't know. Because it seems like if that was one of my kids and, like... Homoka and Paul Bernardo kidnapped and killed them as soon as that 12 years was up I'd be fucking scanning the airways finding out where she was and well and, and that's thing it she's able to be found like there's a Facebook page uh, watch Carla Homoka or whatever yeah. so people well, know where well, she is exactly so people know where she is how is she not dead I just don't don't get that other people don't want to go to jail yeah but fuck it you're just gonna <laughs> you're like look what happens I know yeah. like she got away with it. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and I mean, like, in a, in a crime of passion, I mean... With tapes. Like, yeah. She got and, away with it with tapes. And with that's something that every her. family member that was there would have to live through. Yeah, they all would have tapes, had tapes, right? Well, they, they, they didn't they show them, heard but they, it, but they still, heard it. regardless. Yeah. Like, I just read a transcript of it. It was fucking creepy enough. So, I mean, yeah, just it's <clears> mind-boggling when somebody hasn't offed her at this point in time. Like, you remember that video in the United States? There was that man whose son was sexually assaulted. And uh, while the assaulter was walking from court, the dad was at the payphone. And then as he walked by the payphone, the dad turned around and shot him in the head. Like, oh, yeah. Like, something like that. It should have probably happened to Carbon Homolka at some point. Yeah, it, it is kind of surprising that, like, Bernardo's been assaulted how many times? It's kind of surprising prison. that... She hasn't been too. Yeah, like you read the comments on, like the, the some of the articles that I was reading, and there's a lot of people that want to. Yeah, yeah, but everybody's just too fucking chicken shit. But, <laughs> but I, our justice system is is soft. Don't worry about it. If you want, if it's you get, ten ply soft. <laughs> if you got hate in your heart, let it out. Okay. Although the that's not a disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> Disclaimer. Corey Barnes does not I do <laughs> represent not, all the I ideals condone. of Canada's crawl space. <laughs> I, I do not condone vigilante justice. Do not condone or endorse. But I'm if just, it happens, it happens. I'm just surprised it hasn't happened. Yeah, definitely surprised. Uh, okay, although the contents of the videotapes would likely have led to a conviction of murder for Homoka, an inquiry into the conduct of the prosecutors who had made the plea bargain found their behavior, quote, professional and responsible. And the resol and the quote resolution agreement that they had established with Homoka unassailable under the criminal code. Holy shit! It wasn't. It's not. It wasn't professional responsible. <laughs> like, I'm reading this and I'm like, like I've already read this twice today, and I'm reading it again, and I'm like still surprised by it. You know. Uh, Judge Patrick T. Galligan, rep uh, reporting to the Attorney General on the matter, indicated that in his opinion, the Crown had no alternative but to negotiate with the accomplice in this case as the lesser of two evils to deal with an accomplice rather than to be left in a, a situation where a violent and dangerous offender could uh, cannot be prosecuted. See, but at this point, they already had him as the Scarborough rapist. Yeah, so he was already now, being put with, away. With all the rapes that he would have been uh, convicted of, 
would he not have been able to be deemed a dangerous offender at that point alone with just the rapes under his belt? I have no idea. I don't know what constitutes a, a dangerous offender. Well, I mean, he's, he's a serial rapist at that point. He'd have, he'd raped, what, like 13 women as just a rapist prior to Homolka? Well, he, he had bragged about, like, 30. But it wasn't, like, it's not like those are the ones that... No, but I mean, like, as the Scarborough rapist, I think he would have been already put away for life mm-hmm. at that point. I don't think... But they then they, the could have, they could have done... They would have had a one of those sentences where it would have been a life sentence or something like that. Uh, what's the what's the term when it's all at once? Concurrent. Concurrent, instead of back to back. Yeah, and, but I mean, like, so say they get him on a lesser charge with the Homolka and uh, and Bernardo when they teamed up, mm-hmm. a lesser charge for that, but they still have him on all the rapes. So I mean, it just seems like. But there's also like a maximum sentence that they can there is give to give for that. But I mean, I don't know. Like that lesser of two evil things doesn't really work when they're both. Oh, I know. The equal amounts of evil. I'm totally sense. on your side with that too. Yeah. Since all the evidence was right there in the tapes. You should have gone for both. Like, go for the throat on both of them, yeah. or 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 just don't do anything at all. Just fucking don't get out of bed. But that that's the thing. <laughs> Before they bed. had the tapes, they didn't know that Kamalka was. They didn't because she was yeah. playing the victim, right? Yeah. And she was yeah. like, "Oh no, he." He, but and then when they got the tapes, they're like, "Holy fuck, she's completely evil." But I mean, like they probably should have held those a little bit longer. And that Ken Murray should something far worse should happen to him, uh, withholding what essentially yeah. changed the entire course of an investigation. Mm-hmm. I mean, like something definitely should happen thereafter. Then after that evidence was released, the Crown found that there was no reason to withdraw the plea bargain, yeah. even though that com- that changed everything. Yeah, but under the criminal code, they couldn't. I know, though. I know. It's just so it's just so ridiculous that that was the way it was set up, mm-hmm. where you had to go through with it regarding, because it changed the entire fucking yeah, case. Yeah, well, exactly. Like, she got less than half of, a, of a what her sentence should have been. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, she she's lived a full life. She's She's had children. She's taking them to school she's I mean and how many people didn't get to do that because of her but well that's exactly yeah. it yeah. Like, you've got three girls that were killed and then how many other people that were victimized because of her and the the impact on their lives and their families' lives and like yeah no and yeah. I mean she must be living with herself just fine which is also disturbing for a three for a five out of 40 on the psychopathy test <laughs> i was yeah, gonna make I a joke like, like she, that too yeah. but you beat me like to she, it. <laughs> she should be suffering a little bit inside but she seems quite okay so <clears throat> is it picking up the fucking like i think it's picking up the ghosts in your attic apparently no, it, it's your haunted computer from all the schizophrenia oh yeah files maybe you've made. maybe they're all on there still <laughs> okay it probably won't even come out onto the recording at all. It's just, it's just us we can hear it. Anyways, a two-day hearing was held before Judge Jean R. Bellew. I don't know how to pronounce it. Let me try this. Bellew. Jean R. Bayou. Ba- Bayou? I think it's Jean. I feel like it's Jean. It's probably Jean. In June 2005, I was still thinking about it. <laughs> In June 2005, he ruled that Homoka, upon her release on July 4th, 2005... Uh, would still pose a risk to the public at large. As a result, using Section 810.2 of the Criminal Code, certain restrictions were placed on Homoka as a condition of her release. So here they are. 1. She was to tell police her home address, work address, and with whom she lives. Uh, 2. She was required to notify police as soon as any of the above changed. 
Three, she was likewise required to notify police of any change to her name. Four, she was planned to be, uh, if she planned to be away from her home for more than 48 hours, she had to give 72 hours notice. She could not contact Paul Bernardo, the families of Leslie Mahaffey and Kristen French, or that of the woman, woman uh, known as Jane Doe, or any violent criminals. Six, she was forbidden to be with people under the age of 16. Seven, she was forbidden from consuming drugs other than prescription medication. Eight, she was required to continue therapy and counseling. And nine, she was required to uh, provide police with a DNA sample. On July 4th, 2005, Homoka was released from... uh, (laughs) Anyone want to take a stab at that? Joyce? What? St. Anne de Plains prison? Yeah, there we go. That's probably the closest we're going to (laughs) get. She granted her first interview to Radio Canada Television, speaking entirely in French. Homoka told interviewer Joyce Napier that she chose Radio Canada because she had found it to be less sensationalist than the English language media. She said that she had likewise found Quebec to be more accepting of her than Ontario. Of course it would be. <laughs> she, affir- she affirmed that she would be living within the province, but refused to say where. She said she had paid her debt to society legally, but not emotionally or socially. She refused to speak about her alleged relationship with Jean-Paul Gerbert, Gerbet? Gerbet. Gerbet, a convicted murderer serving a life sentence at, at that prison again. St. <laughs> <laughs> Anne's de Plains. There you go. I, yeah. Homoka's mother was also present, but off screen, and was acknowledged by Homoka. On November 30th, 2005, Quebec Superior Court Judge James Br- uh, Brunton lifted all restrictions imposed on Homoka, saying there was not enough evidence to justify them. <laughs> okay. There should have been <clears throat> way <Bullshit. clears throat> more. Yeah, way more. There should have been way more restrictions. Uh, on December 6th, 6, 2005, the Quebec Court of Appeal upheld Brunton's decision. The Quebec Justice Department decided not to take the evidence to the Supreme Court despite Ontario's urging. So, she lives just free now. I, I yeah, just how, how she got away with it, fucking nuts. It is, it is fucking nuts. Did you guys know she served some time in Saskatoon? I did not. Yes, in uh, October 2000, she spent four months in our regional psychiatric facility. Oh, yeah, I had no clue. I remember hearing about that in the in the news that she was coming and I was like, what? But apparently at that time, I don't know if it's changed since, but she was, uh, it was the only regional psychiatric facility that was like a maximum security thing that would mm-hmm. accept women. Yep. So yeah, apparently there was a, there was a big uproar when she was here. And when she left, there was a whole lot of happy people working in that, uh, psychiatric facility because they didn't want to deal with her. Didn't, they didn't yeah. want to deal with all the questioning and, and stuff to, to deal with her. I could imagine people would have been asking them everything. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, nor would I. And then, now, Jesse, you have more information as to as to where she is today. I, I have a little bit. Um, yeah, she's in Montreal. Um, she has changed her name to Leanne Teal. So just like Bernardo, the serial killer name the that initial he chose. Plant. Yep. And she's married to uh, Terry Bordet or Bordelais. I uh, got three kids, two boys and a girl. Um. And he is the brother of her lawyer. Well, that's interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Um, she volunteers at her children's school. 
She teaches them knitting and stuff. She's just such a swell <laughs> individual these days. Um, yeah, so she's at a children's school, and this is the same lady in a transcript that I read today uh, from one of the videos where she wished her and Paul had four children so the pair of them could have sex with their children. Uh, yes, I recall that, actually, yeah. And, yeah, like, she's... She's scot-free, like... And just recently there was some uproar over that because people discovered that she was in the PTA, correct? Yeah. I, I don't know, I didn't read well, about that. I don't that. know about the PTA, but, like, she was going on, like... Uh, um, school trips, school yeah. trips, and yeah, everything like that. Yeah, I didn't know what the she's PTA a soccer was. mom is. Is what she is. Yeah, and and I guess nobody Psycho realized it was her mom. until at some point it was like, hey, you look a lot like Carla Homolka. And she's like, oh, really? No, no, I'm the Antiel. I've yeah. never been told that my entire <laughs> life ever, not even once. <laughs> what would make you think that? Is it my murderous gaze? Like, <laughs> Shut up, or I'll kill you. Is it my dead eyes or my? <laughs> That uh, that transcript that I I read it was just one of the tapes. In it, the the tape finishes. It this is after um, they've already murdered her sister. They're in her parents' place in her dead sister's bedroom, and she pretends she is her dead sister Tammy and has sex with Paul Bernardo. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> is that is it going to get darker than that? <laughs> I don't know if it can. If Paul Bernardo gets out next, like in February, like... I don't... I, don't, I can't it, imagine it won't him happen, getting out, no. But, each, but just, the, just the fact that they gave him the possibility of parole is fucked up. Well, and each year he gets to apply for parole. Yeah. And each year the families are going to have to go and say no, the he doesn't deserve parole so each so, year they have to go yeah, through it again their life too still to this day they don't get to ever for like even try to move on because they're still gonna be doing that shit i mean i'm sure they move on on the outside but on the inside having to do that shit all the time well yeah and it's also the issue of again the dangerous offender designation where he's essentially agreed to be locked up for life i mean parole hearings at that point are pointless anyways i think so it's just a chance to re-victimize a little bit more yeah so you might notice I only had the one audio clip. <laughs> you lazy bastard. No, no. It's a lot of the news stuff that I was gonna cut up and do and like it's try quite, to put together. Quite dark oh, in audio. Not just that, it's like they were so long and like people can people should just go on YouTube and look oh, yeah. the news clips up themselves because it was it's it would take hours for me to use Edit fucking everything. garage band to do that stuff. And recreating a rape scene probably I, I decided to vote against that. Didn't ask anybody else, but... <laughs> you made the right vote. Yeah. <laughs> Sean, how do you feel about this? I disagree. <laughs> Good idea, Sean. And yet, and yet like, like I said, like last last time I could make a video of a... Or I mean, not a video, an audio clip of a fucking bur baby being shot. I could do the Vince Lee one on the with the bus beheading, but this, there's so much... I don't know. There was just so much. Just with darker, this one. In but just because it, of the premeditation involved, yeah. too, right? Yeah. And well, and the the familial bond, like offering up and yeah, like killing her sister, essentially. Yeah. Well, well, that's what she did. Yeah. 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 I I mean, just just the fact that the others were were psychotic. Yeah. And they had mental disease, mental illness, mental I guess. Illnesses, and, yeah. But this one was just like straight up. Um, 
insane, straight up dark, evil, twisted. Where everything, it, 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 yeah, it wasn't a, a sporadic, like random thing. Yeah. It was premeditated and just thought out and and then and done over again. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, and like it was videotaped. I mean, with with conscious knowledge of everything that they were doing, right? And 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 wanted to save it. And that's slightly darker than the others yeah. in that sense. And also, we've already been going for an hour twenty, and it's like it would have been even even longer than that if I had more clips and stuff. Hopefully, you're driving somewhere pretty far, <laughs> <laughs> or you know, listening to it at work like I do. Yeah, podcast all day at work. Yeah, I mean, when I get the opportunity. To have my headphones in. Do you guys Which listen to any true crime podcasts besides? You no. Know, nope. Maybe maybe just listen to part of this. These ones. <laughs> I uh, I don't really listen to the podcast, but I watch uh, Rob Dyke on YouTube. Oh yeah, and he's got uh, a lot of true crime stuff. There's a couple that are really good. I've been wanting to like recommend them to people for a while. There's one called True Crime Garage. Just couple couple buddies sitting around, kind of like we are, drinking beer, but they get people to like send them money, like. Like, it's a, I like that. It's, a, it's a beer fund so it's like it's their patreon it's like here's 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 a recommendation of a beer that you should buy and here's the money for it kind of thing that's what people do for them if anybody wants cool. to send in any money and recommendations <laughs> yeah. have we hit the 100 person like on our we are, Facebook we were at 99 I went on a chance. like uh, an inviting spree after I know, our I, last I noticed one. that <laughs> I, I threw out some notes to go down my whole list. It'll take like two hours and I'll, I'll eventually do that. But we are sitting at 99 currently. 99 people. So smash that like button. You could be the lucky winner of yeah. doing a some sort of audio file with Sean. Oh, yeah, audio yeah, file with Sean. Right. And that'll be fun. Yeah, it'll be fun. What... What we haven't discussed what we're going to tackle next. This was the no. the Christmas special. This might be the last. Yeah, basically this is the Christmas special because it because Tammy was raped and murdered on uh, December twenty third. We never <clears throat> was a was a was a Christmas present to him. I suppose if the if the <clears throat> Christmas music at the beginning didn't give that away. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. This was indeed the Christmas special. Jesus, I'll I'll throw some jingle bells in there somewhere <laughs> just to lighten the mood it on could, this one. Could just you be. can kind of tell that we're all like kind of drained from it. There's so much information there. It's a it's a very heavy yeah. heavy case, and it was one of our biggest criminal cases, like countrywide. Yeah, in terms of just sheer uh, repulsion. Yeah. It's definitely <laughs> a good one was, for like the la- last one for the year because I don't think we're gonna get another one out before the end. Well, I, I, also, when it happened, all of us were of old enough to be cognizant of it. Yeah, we know. It was 1993. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're Ninja Turtles was out. We were fucking. <laughs> oh, I know. I wasn't. I wasn't that like into the the case. No, but, when, but, when but you knew about it. The 2000s and stuff like that. When I got when I, when I got into the stuff of the 2000s, I do where, remember. Yeah. Like, like, but that, that's what, like that's what I mean. Like it was it was something that you you weren't watching the news, but you still knew about it. Oh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you still was, heard about it, and it, people it was, still like it, that's that's the kind of case that it was. Yeah, it was huge at that point in time, and still there's still news that comes out about Carla Homolka and and Paul Bernardo all the time. It's like uh, it's like our Manson essentially in terms yeah. of infamy. Yeah, he was actually yeah. There was two years ago he had a lady proposed to him. They were gonna get married, and then her family said they were in a they they smartened her up a little bit yeah yeah I do you know that. what he did <laughs> but yeah she had a, paul's girl tattooed on her ankle or whatever uh, yeah okay what is that what is that attraction 
I, some people have with like people in prison. I actually was going to print that out. I, I looked up yeah. that stuff, but I didn't. So uh, I'll have to get back to you later. About what, that. What, I, we'll what do you guys think it is? Subject. I think it's fame more than anything. It's yeah. uh, they they actually talked about it. Maybe like an, an evolutionary thing. They're attracted to the killers because they are they can protect. They're, they're like the alpha male, and they can protect you because they'll they'll, they'll uh, kill anybody who's going to hurt you. Well, I suppose I suppose with the with the less um, identifiable ones, but with these big cases where women step forward and they're saying, "Oh, we're going to get married," and everything like that, and then they come into the public spotlight and and they mean something for a little while, which I think matters yeah, to them. Could be part well, of it's that a too. notoriety yeah. thing, yeah. partially as well. Yeah, and yeah. There's there's a a psycho psychological term for serial killer groupies, but it's just a weird thought yeah. to have because I mean this. <laughs> You're talking about a person that's behind bars that's not going to protect you for shit. Like you, you're married to them, and he anything to, could happen. To <laughs> also, Paul Bernardo used to run away as soon as somebody would attack him, too. Yeah, which is, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it could have very He's easily pretty, escalated. Though. He's a pretty, pretty boy. Yeah, actually, definitely. That actually brings me up, brings up something I was going to discuss and forgot about. Um, when this whole trial thing was going on, there was a picture of him on McLean's magazine. And so my aunt, she's got uh, a little boy and a little girl at that point. They were like five and seven or whatever. And there's Paul Bernardo and there was somebody else on a, a magazine on her coffee table that didn't look nearly as, as pretty. And so she went to her, her kid. She's like, which one's the good guy and which one's the bad guy? And they both pointed it to Bernardo was the good guy because he's such a good looking guy. And she's Jeez. like, nope, <laughs> this guy's the monster. And she used well, that as a, as a teaching and lesson. And that helps. And they're pretty good, yeah. And similar to uh, similar to Ted Bundy, right? And and being a charming, normal person that mm -hmm. you would never suspect as a serial killer. So, wasn't he also the one that like later on when he kept on doing it when he he was like he escaped a couple times or something like that tried doing it and like um, he was actually just gross looking after a while and some women were like. No, this is probably something bad. Like finally, like after the, after with, years. With or Ted Bundy, I don't. I think he finally just kind of like got tired of winning. And, Maybe, and or else he just yeah. I don't know. It's been a long time since I've winning. paid attention to him. Yeah, he did because I mean they weren't they weren't doing a very good job of catching him at any yeah. given time because he was completely random, right? So he was like, there, I got to help him out. <laughs> there was no there was no rhyme or reason to what he was doing, and there was no pattern. It was like here, there, there, there. there. It just they they could not catch him. But he blamed pornography when mm -hmm. they finally did. Yeah, I remember that. So that that was a slippery slippery slope for him. I don't. I feel like that's a cop out. Well, of course, obviously, it's like blaming video games for the Columbine shooting. Yeah, or, or Marilyn Manson's Marilyn Manson. music. <laughs> they didn't even listen to Manson. No, I know that's a fucking. <laughs> uh, Speaking of Columbine shooting, I finally saw the full video just recently, and uh, it's quite interesting. Those those kids were pretty messed up. But they like it, it was more like they they weren't aiming for numbers. They weren't trying to take out as many kids as like it's like they were trying to strike as much terror into individuals as they could. Mm -hmm. Like they were letting so many kids escape, but then they just target on one and make them piss their pants and like tell them they were gonna live and then kill them. Like it was like that. And then at the end, they just both sat down on the floor, counted to three, and then blew their brains out. It was pretty. It was something else. Damn. That's another one where you, you kind of remember where you were when you heard about it. Mm-hmm. Because that was the first, like, big, big massacre, like, especially as a school thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, we did have the uh, 
the what was it, the Lecoli? The Polytech. Yeah. But that was that was a secondary school, and yeah. the, this was a, was a high, high school. school. No, and this was the United States. But in Canada, <coughs> yeah. Montreal, yeah. we had that school, right, with yeah. the women. Yeah, but that was that was a secondary school. Yeah, though. yeah. No, this was a high school. Yeah, and and as far as high school shootings go, I think that was the first big mass shooting in high school. It was the very first one where there was news coverage as it was going on. Mm-hmm. There wasn't one like that before. There had been mass shootings all over the place in the states, but because students were calling to like the police or they're calling their parents and they're calling news places while they're hidden hiding inside. Yeah. Technology. Allowed and like for... fucking the media wasn't like you got to get out of there. They were like, how do you feel right now? Well, there was a nine one one responder on the phone scary the entire shit. time. Yeah. Um, talking to one of them about, uh, because they dialed nine one one and like like kept the phone on. Yeah, really. And, and then while well, yeah. they performed these acts, so the operator is trying to talk to them the entire time they're performing these, and then they have tapped into these video feeds. They can see the entire video feed too at the school, right? So they just followed these kids around as they did their shit. And it was pretty insane. If you haven't seen the full video yet, it's, it's something else. All right, so that's for next week. <laughs> well, that won't be. That's, no, I know. That's, that's, but that's I a, mean, like you can you can watch. It oh, talking week. about it, yeah, yeah. Speaking uh, of the next one, uh, what what we talked about was Clifford Olson, or what was? Yeah, where's he from? Because this one was Ontario. Try not to keep like too many in the same spot every every week, and I know we did like two in Saskatchewan back to back, pretty much. Let me just check with Clifford Olson real quick. BC. Or, you know what, for the new year... Yeah, because we probably won't get together till after the new year. kind of want to take a little bit of a break for Christmas. <laughs> That's impossible. Aww. Plus, the next weekend that we would get together would be New Year's Eve. Olsen is from uh, Vancouver. Oh, okay. So that would work. BC. I know so, we've done one in BC already, but... Well, we have, but I mean... Second episode. <laughs> we're going to have to find the Newfie killer at some point, yeah, I guess. Yeah, eventually. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well... Is that it then? I guess, I suppose that's it until the new year. All right. Happy new year. Yeah, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, all that stuff. Kwanzaa, Hanukkah. Just just be good to each other. (laughs) Don't kill anybody. (laughs) And if you're Jehovah's Witness, I'm sorry that you can't celebrate any holidays. You're probably not listening to this because you you suck. (laughs) 